How's that? Is that better? All right. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, we're going to be looking at that this morning. I have a question before we start, though. I, I would like you to just imagine. I don't know who your favorite group is, your favorite musician, uh, somebody in the world famous that, that you would just love to, to hear in person. Who, who would that person be? If you, if you could go to any concert or, or any, you know, any major venue and, and hear any person in the world or any group in the world, who would that be? So now I want you to imagine, just, just pretend that tomorrow morning you received a letter in the mail and in there were free tickets and uh, free airfare to anywhere in the world, where, wherever this was, where this performance was taking place. And also in there was a, a free pass backstage for a unlimited time of one-to-one -one face conversation with this person. You would be pretty excited, I would guess. And that would be a pretty cool thing. I, I want you to think about something this morning. I want you to think about a reality because that reality I just described is probably not going to happen tomorrow. Would you agree? <clears throat> At least for most of us. I want to I share with you a reality that, that is going to happen tomorrow. Because when you wake up in the morning, there is going to be an invitation to you. An invitation from the one who put the stars in space and who created that sun and put it at just the right distance from the earth and created the entire ecosystem and created the, the birds and the fish and flowers and who created all of the systems of your amazing body. The God who keeps all of the orbits moment by moment, you know, all the planets in their orbit moment by moment, that, that God. That one is inviting you free of charge to his concert in a face-to-face, -face, backstage uh, experience with him for as long as you want to stay. I think that's pretty amazing. I think that's pretty amazing. I want, you, I want us to think together about these words that we're going to read this morning in, in Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 14, 15, and 16. I'm going to read them, and then we're going to spend our time looking at this this morning. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay, now one of our problems right up front is that what I just read to you is, is from a culture, very first century culture, very different than ours. Very different. Uh, we, this concept of thrones and high priests and, and the whole concept of the temple is very foreign to us. How many of you have ever been in a Jewish temple? Okay, 
maybe four or five people in this whole room have ever even been in a temple. And yet, the imagery here that's being used to, to help us understand this amazing truth is, is couched in something that's unfamiliar to us. So we have to work a little harder this morning to understand what's, what's going on here. And so I, I want you to just kind of let your, your mind see here. I'm going to just talk a little bit about this. So we have, the, we have the, the imagery here is about a temple. And there were like four, in, in the temple, there were like four major areas. So the first part of the temple is the outside area, and that's called the outer court. And this is where all of the non-Jews could go. But that's as far as they could go. You couldn't go beyond the outer court. You step beyond the outer court, and you are toast. They would kill you. Death penalty for, for any Gentile ever moving beyond the outer court. And, and by the way, these concentric courts bring you closer to the presence of God. This mercy seat, which is like, oh, like the throne of God. And so there were the outer court for the Gentiles. Then there was the, uh, we find the next court in. And this is for the, the Jewish people. And there was the court of men and court of women. And so the Jewish people, all the people at large, could go into the next court, but they couldn't go any farther. If they went farther, they would die. Then there was the holy place. And this was the place where all of the priests, all the Levites, the, the priestly clan could go into this holy place. But, but they couldn't go any farther. They went any farther and they would die. And then lastly was the Holy of Holies. This represented the very presence of God himself. And only one man, the high priest, could go in there once a year, one day of the year. If he died in there, that's why they, they tied a rope around his ankle. If he died in there, they'd drag him out because nobody could go in and get him. And so this represented the very presence of God, the, the very that, that it was a symbol of the throne of God, which was as close as you could get to God because God sits on his throne. And so that once a year, the high priest would go in and he would offer sacrifice for his sin and the sins of the people, and he'd put, it on the, he'd put this blood sacrifice on that mercy, that gold mercy seat. And it was the only thing that allowed even him to go into the presence of God. We, we see that mercy seat is, is described in the, in the Old Testament. And let me just, as I talk about this, paint, let this paint a picture in your mind so you can kind of see what this looks like. He's talking about now this, this throne-looking thing in the, in the Holy of Holies, the mercy seat. It's called here the atonement cover. He says, make an atonement cover of pure gold two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and make two cherubim out of hammered gold those are angelic like looking creatures with wings out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends the cherubim are to have their wings spread upward overshadowing the cover and the cover with them the cherubim are to face each other looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. 
So that's a description there of that. And he says, at the end, he says, I will meet with you there and give you all of my commands for the Israelites. So evidently, on that one day in that Holy of Holies, it probably looks like a bench with gold and these wings of cherubim coming up over it. It was at that place that God would speak to the high priest very directly on that day of atonement when he would go into that room. So, so that's the picture that all of the people that heard this in the first century, they had this picture in their mind. This place that only one person could, could go to one day of year and everybody else had limited access to this place. So now listen to these words. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, it says a great high priest. The word high means great. So normally, it was, he was called the, we could almost call him the great priest. This is the great, great priest. Literally, it means this was the greatest. This was the greatest priest. We have the greatest priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, the, the analogy here is that the high priest would go through this curtain. The curtain was as big around as your fist. We were told it, take, it would take two, it was so thick and so heavy, it would take 200 men to move it. And so the high priest would go through the curtain into this place of the holiness of God. And so what he's saying here is that we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens. Now, why doesn't he go through the, uh, through the curtain? Because the curtain was just a symbol of the throne of God. Jesus has gone directly to the throne of God. He's actually gone through the heavens to the place where God actually dwells, and there he is there seated at the right hand of God on this throne. So he began to get, to get the picture here of, of what he's talking about. And so th there are a couple of admonitions here. One of them, and by the way, these people were under a lot of pressure. It was a, it was a difficult time for the Jewish people. There was a lot of pressure and a lot of persecution going on. So there are two admonitions. I'm just going to mention the first one and then we're going to focus in on the second one. But you, you read the first one here. He said, number one, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. In other words, when times get hard, don't cash it in. Don't, don't leave. Don't abandon your faith. Keep holding on because Jesus, you have a high priest who's alive who's gone through the heavens and has, is at the throne of God. And by the way, he's doing something there. And we'll, we'll come back to this. I'll just mention it. We'll come back to it later. But it says, we have a high priest, verse 15. He is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So the point here he's making is, look, I know things are hard. But don't forget, you have a high priest who's gone to the throne of God and he, he is sympathizing with what's going on in your life because he has been there. So, so don't, don't reject your faith. Don't, don't give up when things get hard. And there were people evidently here who were giving up because things were getting hard. So that, that's the first admonition. In verse 16, and, and this is what I'd like to focus on this morning, 
we see here <coughs> the second admonition. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we will receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So do, do, you, see the, do you see the connection here? The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He would go through the curtain. He would go to this very place of God and he would grant atonement for the people on behalf of the people. Now he's saying Jesus is our high priest. He's gone through the heavens to the very, you know, the very throne of God. He's at the right hand of God and he's there and now we are given an invitation to draw near to that place to enter with confidence to the in essence, to the Holy of Holies, actually to go into the very presence of God. Which was amazing, which was, was, was hard, I'm sure, for, for these people to, to understand. And, and the reason we can do that is because Jesus has gone to the mercy seat and he has shed his very own blood as an atonement. His very own blood. In fact, in Romans 3, it uses the word that Jesus is a propitiation for our sin. That word propitiation is the same. It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word, which means he is our mercy seat. So Jesus Christ is, is actually that, that atonement cover, that, that mercy seat, which we are called and invited to come to. Without Christ, we would be under God's judgment. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we are no longer. We are, we are protected. And so the picture here is that in the temple system, we had all these limited, all these walls. And you had limited access to God. Now, we are invited. I'm quoting here, as we see in verse 16. Let us then approach the throne. That, that's all the way. That's all the way in. He's saying, we can now go all the way into God. And, and it's not just a symbolic place of God's presence. We are invited spiritually, in our spirit, to go actually into the, right up to the throne of God. And so when we, when we come there, what do we find? Well, the first thing we find, we're invited to come to a throne. We're invited to come to a throne. And by the way, there, there's someone on the throne. This is not an empty throne. Someone is on the throne. And it is God our Father and Jesus. The, the word gives us this picture that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And so we are coming into God's presence. We are, we are drawing near. And we are coming to one who's on a throne. Now, we're not used to this concept of thrones. That's kind of a, a foreign concept. You know, we grew up in a country where we talk about democracy. And, you know, the, 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 the rule of the people, by the people, for the people. Uh, we'd like to think it was more that way than it is, but that's another topic. We have a hard time, most of us in this room have never lived under a dictatorship or a monarchy. By the way, our country is supposed to be one republic under God. It's really not a democracy, it's a republic. But this concept of a throne 
is, is a different kind of a, we sometimes have a hard time getting our heads around that. God does not operate under a democratic process. He, he's, not, he's not interested in your opinion. I mean, he, he cares about what you think, but he's not asking you and me for, for, for our opinion. He is ruling. He is on the th throne. He is reigning. He has a will which is established. And your thoughts and my thoughts about that will have nothing to do with what God's will ultimately is and will be. God knows his own mind. He has his own will. He is on the throne, and he is reigning on that throne. His will is going to happen. His purposes are going to be accomplished. And so here's the first point I want us to see. This God has ultimate authority. He has all power. He's all-knowing. He, he has ultimate power. And so when we are invited to come to a throne, we are invited to come to a God who has unlimited power. That's what I want you to think about. Unlimited power. So the invitation is, I want you to come to a God who has unlimited power. There are no limits to what he can do. This is the God that you're invited to come to. There's nothing that he can't do. You know, sometimes we get this picture of, of the world like, you know, God created everything good, and then Adam and Eve sinned, and now things are spinning out of control, and, and God's trying to figure out a way to get things back, or God is just letting things go until the day when he returns. That's not the picture created in the Bible. The picture in the Bible is that there's God, there is a God who is on the throne. He is ruling. He is reigning. He is a, he, he, he's not waiting for anything to happen. He's right on track. Exactly what is happening is supposed to happen. Listen to these words from Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. He says, Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and he deposes them. God sets up kings and deposes them. He did it in the Old Testament time and time again. He's done it uh, throughout the years and he's doing it today. God is not wondering how the elections are going to turn out. He is not frustrated by history. He is writing history. And so everything going on today, ISIS, uh, stuff going on today in Israel and Jerusalem, the tensions that are mounting there, uh, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, what's going on in Syria, all of this stuff, this is not taking God by surprise. God is on his throne, and, and God is in control of history. This is the God, this is the God that you're being invited to come to, into his presence. This is a God who has no power shortage. This is a God who has ultimate authority. This is a God who, when you come, has the power to do anything and everything. Nothing can thwart. There's nothing beyond his ability. 
know, I've heard people say, you know, I, I've, I, I did this, I tried this God thing and I, I tried praying, but God just didn't answer, he, he didn't answer my prayers. What, what, what people are really saying is, you know what, I brought God my agenda and he, he didn't fulfill it. I came to God and told him what I wanted him to do for me and, and he just doesn't seem to do it. Well, God's not interested in your agenda. He's not interested in mine. He has an agenda. He has his purposes. He has, he has his will. And so when you, we, we come to the throne not to give orders, we come to the throne to receive them. So we see here that this God has absolute power. There's a second quality. Because you know what? People with absolute power are very scary. Often people with absolute power abuse that power. Some of the most some of the most horrific things that have ever happened have happened with people who had unlimited power. But secondly, God has absolute goodness. Absolute goodness. In fact, the only thing that God can do in your life is good. When you come to God and, and you ask God to work in your life, he has unlimited power, and he will use his unlimited power for nothing but goodness in your life. God cannot do otherwise. He is bound by his, by his character in terms of his goodness in our lives. That's the only way in which he can act. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When we come before his throne... All punishment, all wrath has been removed through the work of Christ, and God will only do that which is good in our lives. Now we say, well, okay, I come to God and, and things are happening and I've, I've prayed. I, I cannot for the life of me figure out how, how you could conceive what's going on in my life right now is good. I mean, how, I, I can't perceive that as good. So how do, we, how do we address that? Well, God, God has addressed that. He, he's, he's told us. He said, you know, my, my ways are not your ways, and, and my thoughts are not your thoughts, in fact. Think of it this way. He says, high as the heavens are above the earth, so far, above, so far are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. So what that tells me is it's going to be pretty normal for me to have things happening in my life that I cannot figure out. That it's going to take another day to figure out how God was using this for good in my life. But I'm here to tell you, by faith, you can believe that whatever God is doing in your life, he is using for good. And so we see here that this is the God that we are invited to come and meet with and we're not invited to come and meet him at the coffee shop. We're invited to come to the throne. So whenever this, you know, we're talking here this, this month about, about abiding, about coming into the presence of God. When you come to God, what should click in your mind is, this is an incredibly powerful God. I'm coming before him on his throne. He is awesome. He is, he is authority. He has total rule and reign over my life. 
but he's only going to act in goodness, even if I can't understand what he's doing. So, so that's the first thing we see here. We're, we're coming to a throne. The second thing is, is that we're coming to a throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. Now, he could have called it a throne of power. He could have called it a throne of authority. He could have called it a throne of righteousness, a throne of justice, but he called it a throne of grace. A throne of grace. You know, I have this picture. <clears throat> Just imagine this. There's some, there's some onlookers standing outside the, the gates of heaven. And there are the doors that, that enter into the throne room of God. And, and, and onlookers there, they, they know that you never go into a king without an invitation. And so they're staying there watching, and, and all of a sudden, these three young boys come uh, skipping by, and they go over, and they throw open the door, and they go running in, and you're going, my goodness. They're going to carry those three boys out on a gurney. And uh, time goes by, and pretty soon the door opens, and the three boys come skipping out, and they're all smiles, and they're off. And, and you look at somebody, and you say, how, how can they do that? How can they do that? The person says, oh, those are the king's children. Those are his children. That begins to give us a picture of, you know, by grace we have been adopted into his family and we are now invited into the throne room as his children with unlimited access and we are able to do that through his grace. The scripture says we are to draw near so we can receive grace and mercy. That's what you get at the throne. You don't get judgment. You get through Christ, you get grace and mercy, which are wonderful things. That's where you get what you don't deserve, and you don't get what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And, and why? Because Jesus, our great high priest, has gone through the heavens and is there interceding on our behalf before the Father. If you, if you jump back to verse 15, we see that it says, this is one who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Hebrews 2, we see that Jesus there as well, it, it talks, if you read through that chapter, it just talks about how Jesus is our, our faithful high priest, it says in verse 17, for this reason, he has to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. So that's Christ's ministry to you. He is helping you in the midst of your temptation and he not only sympathizes with you, he understands. He understands. It was uh, C.S. Lewis who wrote this in response to the charge that because Jesus never sinned, that he really didn't know the full impact of temptation because he never sinned. And, and this is C.S. Lewis's response. 
He writes, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people in one sense know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. So Jesus was tempted to lie, you know, to save his life, to steal, perhaps to help his poor mother when his father died, to covet all the things that Zacchaeus owned, to dishonor his parents when they were more strict than others, to take revenge when he was wrongly accused, to lust when Mary wiped his feet with her hair, to pout with self-pity when his disciples fell asleep in the last hour of trial, to murmur at God when John the Baptist died at the whim of a dancing girl, to gloat over his accusers when they couldn't answer his questions. The scripture says that he was tempted in all ways, as we are, so that he might be a sympathetic priest for each one of us. There's one other problem in coming to the throne, and that is we always want to bring something with us. You know, kind of like, somehow we kind of want to justify the fact that we're coming before the throne. That somehow we have a little bit of something good we've done that would justify our being there. And, and yet, that, that's not God's focus in calling us to the throne. He's wanting us to come for grace. He's wanting us to come for mercy. This is a place where we receive grace and mercy. So if there's a problem with you coming to the throne, it's not that you've been too bad. That's, that's not going to be the issue. The issue is going to be that, that you're going to think you're somehow good enough. And so whoever we are, God invites us to the throne. He invites us to this place where we receive mercy in our time of need. One final thing <clears throat> I want to mention. Sometimes we think that you know, God's grace is about all of the, the things that he gives us. That God gives us grace uh, by blessing us with this or blessing us with that or answering a prayer. And I think it's really important to understand that the greatest thing that God is giving you by his grace is himself. God is, God is wanting to give you himself. And when he invites you into his presence, we talk about this experiencing the abiding presence of Christ in our lives. He's wanting you to experience his presence. That's why at the end of time, at the end of time when we meet Christ, on that final day when we gather together and all the saints gather together, you know what? It's not going to be a business meeting. It's not going to be a big reunion. It, it's not going to be a, a, just a big celebration. It's not going to be even a big worship service. What's it going to be? It's going to be a wedding right? 
and the whole scripture said it's going to be the marriage feast of the Lamb when the groom represented by Christ is united with his church. And God is going to, in essence, visibly, face to face, he is going to restate his covenant vows with his people because God is giving us himself. And that is the amazing, that is the most amazing thing about God's grace. So here's the invitation this morning. You are being invited to come to the throne of grace. You are being able to come, and when you come, you should come with this sense that whatever's going on in your life, there is unlimited power to deal with that. There is no shortage of power. And there is unlimited grace. So the failures of your life and, and all of the reasons why you think that God probably shouldn't do this for you and that God's good, goodness shouldn't be poured out, all of those things are erased because God's grace is bigger than that. That should be the sense when we come to him. That God is going to give us his unlimited power, his unlimited goodness, his unlimited grace in that moment. You know, if you had just one request, one desire that you would want to be fulfilled this morning, just one thing that, that you would want to bring to God, what would that be? I want you to listen to these words from uh, Francis Chan as we conclude this morning and uh, listen to what he has to say. <clears throat> thing have I asked of the Lord? What's the one thing you keep asking of the Lord? If I could read a transcript of your prayers for the last few weeks, what would I see as the one thing that you just keep asking for? Would it be, God, just let me dwell in the house of your Lord all the days of my life. Let me just gaze upon your beauty and inquire in your temple. Let me just meditate in your temple. Let me just gaze upon your beauty. God, it's you. Is that what your transcripts would say to me? I mean, you, you, it's simplistic, isn't it? He just says, God, I, I just need to be with you and everything will be fine. It's simplistic, but do you see the obviousness in it? Like, well, of course. If I believe that there is only one sovereign being, the only ruler, the only sovereign, then isn't it obvious that as long as I am close with him, abiding in him, that's all I really need to do. The fruit will come. The protection will come. Everything else will happen. It's obvious. I, I, I want to just gaze upon you and just go... I'm in love with Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ is in love with me right now. I mean, the God of the universe. I mean, isn't it just the most amazing thing when, when he answers prayer and you just think, I just spoke to God. God just listened to me and he answered me. Is there anything better than that on this earth? I mean, what's better than that? 
Like I, this little human, this little screw up, this one that doesn't even pray as hard as the other guys, the one that doesn't know as much theology as some of these guys. I'm trying everything else, but I, I fail and I fail and I fail. But then, God, you heard me, you listened to me, you love me. That's the that's one thing I ask for that I will seek after. I'm just going to ask for it. I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to go after this. God, here's this one thing. It's just that, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Let's pray together. Father, you have invited us by your very word this morning to come boldly with confidence to your throne of grace uh, beyond the curtain to that place where only the high priest could go once a year because of the work of Christ on the cross. Father, you are inviting us to come into your presence through simple faith in Christ and you are inviting us to experience your power and your grace and your mercy and whatever it is that we need for this time of need. Father, you're inviting us to, to your presence and in that place, Father, our hearts are changed, our lives are changed, our, our vision is changed, our emotions are changed. And so, Father, that's our prayer. Lord, we desire to understand what this means to come to your throne, to, to abide in you, to, to be in your presence, and to be changed by it. And so would you just continue to teach us, and would you continue, Father, to draw us, and might we, might we take your words to us today and apply them by faith and, and come into your presence absolutely assured of, of this power that's able to meet any need in our life and of your grace which will bring about goodness even if we can't understand it. Father, that's our prayer today as your people. And so may you just uh, honor that as we come to you today. Father, this morning for anyone here who has yet to receive the grace of Jesus Christ through simple faith in his work on the cross, through repentance and confession of you as Lord, Father, might in this moment, might uh, if you have given them by your spirit the eyes to see that, might they just receive you today. Father, we pray now that you would bless uh, as we conclude our service, bless the offering as we receive it. Uh, just bless the words of the song to the song as we hear it today during the offering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whoever lives. 
stand as we conclude we invite you to our connection cafe and uh, let's just bow father we are so privileged to be your people and uh, send us out with great joy send us out with the understanding of the depth of your love for us father may your words abide in us this week and may your will be lived out through our lives we pray this in Christ's name Amen.